It's a joy to be with you. Uh, I invite you to grab a copy of God's Word as we open it up this morning and turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 22. If you don't have a copy with you, there's one in the pew back, and the way we're going to move through the text this morning, it'd be helpful to have one in front of you. So you can grab that one and turn to Psalm chapter 22 this morning. And as you're turning there, uh, typically when Chad, over the past few weeks and months, has been starting his sermons, he's taking a moment to really express some things that he's excited about and grateful for in the church. So thankful to be able to do that as well this morning as your student missions minister. First on the, uh, the side with, with youth ministry. Church, you have a great group of students uh, in the youth ministry right now. Uh, they're just really encouraging me and my wife, Brittany, as we're, we're serving. Uh, one, they're really hardworking. Last week, we had a couple days where uh, we got the students together and for three days straight, pretty much nonstop, we went up in the youth room and painted the room and kind of refreshed things. And they worked really, really hard with that. Thankful for Johnny Parker, who cleaned up behind us, went above and beyond with that. Uh, but they're really hardworking. They want to serve. But even more than that, they really want to dive into the scriptures. As we've been in Bible study uh, and looking at things, so you can tell our students just have a desire to have an understanding of what the Word of God says with the hope of like being able to really apply that in their own context. In their schools, is they have friends with differing worldviews, opposing worldviews. They say, oh, we want to know what God's Word says, and we want to know how to live it out and love our neighbor as Christ commands us to do. So I'm really encouraged by our student ministry uh, with that. For the missions kind of side of things, there's some really exciting things going on here locally. Uh, we have ministries that have been able to start back up over the past few months and weeks. Things like a ESL class teaching English uh, to people in the community. We have a team going to Rivard Juvenile Detention Center to lead a Bible study there. Uh, we have Feel the Future during the, the school, which identifies uh, children that are going hungry on the weekends, giving food to them. We have a group called Inward, where a group of ladies get, get to go uh, to Bourbon Street together and really minister to ladies down there and pray for them and share the gospel with them. So locally, there's just some things kind of getting back uh, started even after COVID, right? And it's been encouraging to me to see people adapt to even new ways of doing ministry here locally. But then even on a, on a global uh, setting, this week, Jerry Pounds, one of our members here, is in Lesotho right now serving. He was able to spend some time uh, with one of the missionaries, Brett Barnhill, last week and really enjoy some time together. And as a doctor, Jerry is now doing some medical missions uh, in Lesotho. And so I'm really thankful for him going to serve with Brett and Allison Barnhill with the Reclaim Project and the Bundricks with IMB missionaries. Uh, but he's also doing a, a really good service for you this week as he's serving over there. And he's kind of using this trip as a vision trip for what things will look like in 2023 to send the group from First Baptist. So uh, you... First Baptist, like your student ministry, I can just tell like there's a, a desire to know the Word of God and know what it says and then to go to the needs in, around us. And I'm thankful for you and excited about that. As we think about this and we see uh, what the Lord is opening up uh, for us to do as a church, we, we then come to a realization, right, naturally that we're not able to meet all the needs that there are in our community, certainly not all the ones that are, are present in the world. We look and we see evidence of suffering in the midst of, of us here in our city. We see it throughout the world. And so as, even as we go to the need, we're reminded of great physical needs, of needs that need to be met in our community and in our world. But even more than that, as we see those, we're reminded that there is a need that goes even deeper than the physical that each one of us have. It's something that tells us that it's not just a physical need that needs to be met, but there's a need for like a renewal of our soul a renewal of our soul, something we can only have ultimately what the Bible says 
in Christ. And this, this need for renewal is not even just something that's outside the walls of the church, but even us as believers, we are constantly reminded as we go through seasons of life that we would say is painful and seasons of life that are filled with suffering, that we realize there is a need for being made new. And we see this addressed this morning as we come to the text in Psalm chapter 22. The book of Psalms is really a beautiful book in the way that it just somehow kind of encapsulates all of the human experience. Some way over 150 chapters, we see every human emotion really covered as these Psalms cry out to God. We see Psalms on one hand that are filled with great joy and thanksgiving and praise to God. And as well, on the other hand, we see Psalms that are full of anguish. We see Psalms asking for protection in times of danger and strength in times of trouble and songs that, that simply just cry out to God in difficult seasons. And so as you look at this passage the more, this morning, you'll see one much like the latter category. This passage cries out to God really in the midst of a chaotic life, in the midst of a life that doesn't seem to make sense at times. And so this morning, I believe that we're confronted with a passage of, of Scripture that's really applicable to us in whatever season of life you find yourself in. For us specifically, we're kind of here at the beginning of the summer, right? Like they have a, had a preteen trip that went great that we just had. Uh, we've had a few other things going on that just says summer is here, right? And that's usually a time that's uh, met with a lot of anticipation and excitement. But some of you may be coming here this morning and say, yeah, we're at the beginning of that new season, but I'm already weary. Like I'm already tired. Like past few months have just been a lot. I just feel tossed around by situations in life. Past few years, I just feel like I'm tossed around by my circumstances. Some of you may have family situations that are, you would say it's like, you, you read the, the words in this Psalm and say, that's me because of my family situation. Maybe it's a child that's just making decisions and I just, it pains me. And I want to know how to help, but I don't want to be overly involved. And you find that tension and say, I'm just, I feel like I'm suffering in this. Or maybe it's an, even an adult child, you know, and you're, you're trying to, to find the balance with really investing in them, but some of the decisions are causing you pain. Some of you may have health complications or a diagnosis, and you say that you're suffering because not just with the health side, but you want answers, right? We all want answers in those kinds of seasons. Know what things are going to be like. Know what, what the cure is, and that you may not have the answers, and you're weary this morning. Or maybe you're just simply one that reads the news, right? And sees not just this year, but in every year, how there's pain and suffering around the world. It causes us anxiety even here. We see a war in Ukraine and it causes us pain and anxiety here in the States. We see in, in our country, even uh, just the news seems to be bombarded by, by shootings around the nation, even here in our own city. And it causes us pain. And all of these things make us realize, again, that there's a need that we have that doesn't just meet the physical need, but it's something that we need within each one of us. We need something that gives us hope, and not the kind of hope that seems to be temporary or not the kind of hope in man, right? Sometimes we are tempted to place our hope in, in our future in an election or a court ruling, and as good as those things are and as necessary as those things are, doesn't give us something as concrete as we want to put our hope in. Sometimes we put our hope in an escape, right? If, if we're in a season of suffering or difficulty, we just kind of want to withdraw, want to get away. And it, it, those things range all the way from drug use to overeating or sitting and just watching TV to try to get out of the situation for just a moment. But our circumstances tell us we need something to put our hope in that's more concrete than that. Sometimes we put our hope in a new season of life. 
Like if I can just kind of get out of this season and get to the next one, things will be better. But again, we are reminded in every season, we need a hope that's stronger than that. We need a hope that's faithful, that doesn't leave when things get bad. We need a hope that's good, that actually gives us peace and satisfaction and a sense of fullness, a hope that's true. And that kind of hope is what we see in Psalm 22 this morning. So as we read God's word, would you stand with me as we hear from him? We're going to read the first 24 verses this morning. Psalm 22, this is the word of the Lord. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save them. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will proclaim you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for passages like this in your word that seem to address a very specific situation that we all kind of feel sometimes in life. Um, Lord, that you, uh, by your grace, have given us what we need to cry out to you in seasons where you seem distant and to make our requests known to you and to affirm our trust in you. So, Father, today I pray as we look at your word that you would um, do just that. You would build up our trust in you and our hope in you, knowing, Father, that you have answered this prayer and you answer our prayers in Christ who suffered on our behalf. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As I said before, uh, this is a psalm, as we come to Psalm 22, that cries out to God. And it falls kind of into a genre of prayers that we see in the book of Psalms. We see in passages like Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, that we call lament. And I'll be honest, when I was younger, when I was in middle or high school, and I was kind of trying to read through God's word, I came to the Psalms and I saw passages like this. And my thought was, okay, this is how I'm not supposed to pray. You know, like this, the, the Psalms is making some really bold statements. He's really asking some specific things of God. It seems like, like 
it seems like this is not what I'm supposed to do. And yet what we see is that this is a gift from the Lord that shows us how to pray in the midst of our suffering. It's a psalm of lament. So what is lament? Lament is kind of this spiritual tool that we have as believers to use in our prayers before God in the midst of suffering. It's not something that helps us through difficult times by faking a smile through the bad times, and it's not ignoring the bad times. It's not like we're withdrawing from them, and it's, it helps us to not withdraw from the Lord in the midst of difficult seasons. This psalm shows us how to lament, which is how to cry out to God, how to bring our request to Him and affirm our trust Him in the middle of the bad times. Many have faced suffering like this and yet have been tempted to fall away from the Lord, right? Sometimes we ask questions like this psalm does and ask God, Lord, in the midst of this season, are you there? Like, are you even present? Sometimes that goes even to the point of assuming he's not. That's not what this psalm says. Sometimes we are tempted to fall into sinful pitfalls, even in the midst of suffering, to go to something other than the Lord for our hope and our refuge. And yet this psalm points us to the Lord as our hope and refuge. And there are other times and other people that have in the midst of suffering rejected the truth that there is a God. Say, if I'm suffering in this way and I'm trying to follow the Lord and yet life is so difficult, there must not even be a God. But we, what we see in this psalm is an affirmation that we can trust in the God that is there. And so lament helps us to trust God when it's hard to trust him. Lament is a space that we have as believers to walk with God in the middle of our suffering, to pour out our hearts in the middle of pain and to find a refuge in the middle of chaos. So we see not, in this, not just how to lament in this passage, but some truths that we can take with us in the middle of our suffering. And the first is this, God knows our suffering. God knows our suffering. Each of us want to be seen. Right? And I'm not saying like seen in a spotlight, but each of us want to be seen by people we care about and we want to be understood. Whether you're a child or a teenager or an adult, no matter what season of life, you want to be seen and you want to be understood by people. Right? I've seen this even in my daughter, who's a four-month-old, Miss Isetta Flora Green. She wants to be seen. Now, she certainly wants to be seen uh, when she's hungry, or when she's tired, or when she needs to be changed. She wants to be seen, she wants to be understood, and she wants to be taken care, care of. But she also wants to be seen in other ways. Now, there's sometimes where I'll put her down, right, and she'll do tummy time when she's a baller at, like she is amazing at that. But she'll do tummy time, or she'll get on her back and just kind of play around. And I'll go sit down, and do, you know, read or something like that. And after a little while, she'll just kind of be whining a little bit. Not, not crying or anything, but just kind of making some noise. And then I put my book down, and I just look at her. And she stops and she smiles. Four-month-old, she just wants to be seen, right? And what we see in a four-month-old is true of even of us today. In the midst of our suffering, especially, we want to be seen. We want to be understood. I mean, you think when you've gone through difficult seasons, like you want a friend that's there that just listens and that is present. What this psalm tells us is that our God knows our suffering. Psalm 22 tells us that God does see us Our flesh will only think of God really as favorable or hostile to us based on our circumstances. But what the psalm tells us is that God is seeing us. He looks after us in every season. Even in the psalm that opens up and wonders if God is even present, we find this affirmation of trust 
in the Lord, that God is there. This kind of trust that recognizes that even in the most difficult circumstances, God, he actually is present. And the Christian life really holds these two things in tension. We're called to a faith in God in the good times and the bad. We're called to a mindset above our fleshly inclination to think that God is unloving or uncaring. We're called to place our faith and our trust in God when our theology, what we believe about God, seems to be in tension with our experience, what we feel about God. Verse 4 and 5 really address this uh, about God's faithfulness to his people. Verse 4, our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. When we look through the Old Testament specifically, as this psalmist is looking back at what God had done in his people, we see that God was present and patient and he provided for his people when they were dismayed or even disobedient to him. Think about specific things like when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, all the way back in the book of Exodus. We see that they were being oppressed by the Egyptians and yet God saw their suffering. Exodus 2 23 through 25, at the very beginning of that book, says, After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out. And their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Listen to this. And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. God saw, and God knew. It doesn't say that God saw their suffering and immediately removed them from Egypt. Exodus is a long book. This is just chapter two, right? It doesn't say that God saw and began to defeat the Egyptians for them. We see that Pharaoh's heart was actually hardened as God answered their prayer. But David, who's writing this passage in verse four, in the midst of his suffering said, God, I do trust you because you've been with your people. I can look back and see how they trusted in you. They cried to you in in Exodus two. And you saw and you knew and you did answer their prayer eventually. He said, they trusted in you. You did rescue them. They cried to you. They were set free. They trusted you. They, they were not disgraced. And so what we see is that even when it seems like things are, are so hard, it seems like God is absent, we can have faith that God is present because he has been with his people from the very beginning. And so when we want to affirm our trust in the Lord, when we're going through these times of suffering, we can look back to see how God worked in his people because God is the same today. And we can pray the the words of Psalm 22 with David today. We're called to pray this Psalm of Lament and cry out before God because those who trust in the Lord, as verse five says, will not be disgraced. He goes on as he goes to a time of praise. David says in verse 24 that God does not despise or abhor the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. And so we look back to know that God knows our suffering and God sees us in the midst of suffering. He is intimately aware and he's intimately involved, even in times when we feel far and distant from him. Not only does God know our suffering, but God also hears our prayer. God hears our prayer. This is good news today because our longing to be seen is also a longing to be heard. We don't want to just have a God that knows that we're suffering, but we want a God that actually listens to our prayer, that cares if we pray or not. 
and that actually will answer our prayer. And we need a God that hears our prayer. This is addressed in verse 19 through 21. It says, but you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of wild oxen. David cries out, say, God, I want you to be near. We don't want a God that's hands off, right? In our own experience, we want a God that's actually there. Not the God of the philosophers or even of deism that's just like, he created things, but he doesn't really care. He just kind of, we want a God that's there and intimately involved with us. David cries out for help from God that my strength would come quickly. We want God to help us as he hears us. We don't want a God, again, that's impersonal, but we want one of grace and mercy that is able to help us in our times of difficulty. And we want a God that saves as well. As David cries out, save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. We want a God that saves us from our suffering, that doesn't give us the kind of hope that kind of falls away, but a concrete hope that deals with the real problem in our suffering. And the Bible shows us this kind of God. Going back to Exodus 2, it says that they cried out, Israel cried out, and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God, and God heard their groaning. God not only sees us and knows us, but he listens when we cry out to him. And so how should we pray? With this knowledge, knowing that God sees us and knows us, knowing that he does hear, how? How should we pray? Psalm 22 gives us the structure for how we're called to lament to the Lord. Look at verse 1 and 2. And as we look at this, there's really kind of three main components that David puts into his prayer. But at the beginning, he seems to go back and forth, back and forth, crying out and trusting. That seems how life is sometimes. We're just kind of tossed around. Our emotions are on a roller coaster at times. And that's how David cries out to God. And so we're called to cry and to pray real prayers. And so it begins with a cry. Verse one, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance, from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you did not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. So he's crying out, say, God, in in this season right now, you feel far away. David's saying it like it is. And this is significant because this is, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you've heard about the first few kings of Israel. And remember about David, uh, he was the youngest of all of his brothers. And yet he was the one that was called by God to be king. It was this young David that in the midst when Israel couldn't go against the, the giant that he came with a sling and a stone and faith in God and he slayed the giant, right? It was this David that God made a covenant with, a blessing forever. Is this David who's descendants would be on the throne forever. And yet it is this same David that was a man after God's own heart that cries out, God, why have you abandoned me? But he still says, my God, right? It's, it's, it's a point where David is being real with his emotions, real with his situation, but he doesn't stray away from the Lord. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So from the beginning today in this passage, if you've ever gone through a season where you felt as if God was distant, you're not alone. David felt as if God was distant, but he goes on in his prayer. He cries out to God and then he trusts in the Lord. Look at verse three through five. Again, you're holy. He said, I'm crying out. I I don't know what you're doing, but God, you are holy. I do trust you. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. I do trust you because our ancestors trusted you and you rescued them. I do trust you because they cried and they were set free. And so father, you've been faithful through your, to your people throughout all of history. But then he goes back to another cry in verse six. He said, but, but I'm a worm and not a man, 
scorned by mankind and despised by people. Verse six, he says, God, everybody's against me. Not only do you feel this, God, it feels like everybody is against me in this season. Verse seven, everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. It's almost like he's saying, God, everybody's laughing at me, right? Whether you're a kid or not, an adult, isn't that the worst feeling when it feels like people are laughing at you and not with you? you know, and that's what David is saying. He says, they, they see me and they mock me. Everyone is against me. Verse eight, this is what they say. He relies on the Lord, let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It's almost as if the, the, the experience that David is having with the people is causing him to wonder, God, are you against me? as well. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 9 and 10. He goes back to trust in the Lord. God, you've not just been with your people, as I said in verse 4 and 5, but you've been with me. You brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You've been my God from my mother's womb. He says, God, you've, you've been with me for my whole life. I do trust you. And so he comes to verse 11 and says, don't be far from me. He makes his request known. As David cries out, he affirms his trust in the Lord. He said, this is my request. God, don't be far from me because the stress is near and there's no one to help. But then he continues and continues to cry even more. Verse 12, many bulls surround me. He said, God, I'm surrounded. Verse 13, again, they open their mouths against me. Everyone is against me. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water. He said, I'm washed out in this season. All my bones are disjointed. He says, I'm just a bag of bones right now. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like baked clay. My my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. And he says, God, I just don't have the strength to carry on. And as he cries and as he trusts, he goes back and requests from the Lord. He said, God, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. And he says, God, this is my request. Be with me. And sometimes our walk with the Lord feels like David's prayer this morning, right? We're in the midst of a season of pain and difficulty and we're crying out to God and saying, but, but God, I do trust you. You've been with your people. You've been with me. But things seem so bad, but I do trust you, but things seem really bad. And God calls us to make our request known to him. So this is the, the structure that David gives us that is a gift to us in our prayer lives before God to lament before the Lord, to cry out to him. When hope seems lost, it seems as if sometimes we'd be driven further away from prayer, but God calls us to cry out to him and to continue to pray more. Because continuing to pray when you're not feeling it isn't hypocrisy, it's being obedient to the Lord. So we cry out. We make our request known to God as well. Isn't this such a good gift? I think about uh, the passage that Jesus talks about in uh, Luke chapter 11, where he gives this imagery of a man going to his neighbor's home knocking on the door in the middle of the night. He wakes up the whole household and tells his neighbor, I need some bread, right? And Jesus says, that kind of audacity, that kind of boldness is how I want you to pray to me. That's how I want you to bring your request and make them known to God. So God calls us to cry out to him, to make our request to, like I, when I was younger, I thought that this was bad, that they were so explicit in what they wanted of the Lord. And yet God says, make your request known to me, but then, affirm your trust. Cry out, make your request, but affirm your trust. Like David, we might feel like we're going back and forth, back and forth, and yet God calls us to put our trust in him and our hope in the one that is secure. Knowing this truth, again, from Psalm twenty-two, twenty-four, that he is not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. 
God knows our suffering and he hears our prayers. So the question for us is, do you cry out to God? Do we remember the power of prayer, not just as a Sunday school kind of answer, but realize there's great power in prayer. We see it over and over in the scriptures, not just in the Psalms, but in the New Testament as well. Think about passages like Acts 2.42, where the, the early church was gathering together, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And in that season, we saw thousands of people coming to faith in Christ. We see it not just in the scriptures, but over the course of history, as God's people had devoted themselves to prayer, God has been faithful to them, even though he is slow at times in his answer. In 1857, we see the beginnings of what historians call the Third Great Awakening, which began simply with a devotion to prayer. After facing a lot of difficulty to reach his neighborhood in New York City, Jeremiah Lanfear began praying alone in his church. And at the beginning, there were six other men that came and began to pray with him. And every day at noon, he would go to his church to pray for his neighborhood, that God would pour out the Spirit on that place. After a month, there were a hundred men that would come at noon every day to begin to pray with him. And over the course of time, thousands of people would leave their jobs in the middle of the day at noon to come and pray for their neighborhood. And what we've seen is an estimated million people coming to faith in Christ that all began with a devotion to prayer. And so church, if we believe in the power of prayer that we see in scripture and we see in history that God is faithful to answer the prayer, to bring many to faith in Christ, how much more should we be devoted to prayer in our daily lives knowing that God is with us. He knows us. He knows our suffering. He hears our prayer and does not hide his face, but listens to us. And so church, we have a great hope in what the Psalm teaches us, that God knows our suffering and that God hears our prayer. And finally, we have a great hope in this, that God sent an expected sufferer. God sent an expected sufferer. Not only does he know our suffering and hear us when we suffer, he sent an expected sufferer. Our passage this morning really hinges on a statement that we see in verse 21. Kind of translated in a few different ways, but I think the CSB really gets it when it makes that pause. And then David shifts in his prayer from his cry for help, his request before God, and he says, you answered me. And as he's crying in the midst of his pain, he exclaims that God has answered. He knew that God heard his prayer. And so we can take comfort today because we can cry out with David that God has answered this prayer here and our prayers today in the fact that God has sent an expected sufferer. The hardships that we see in Psalm 22 and the hardships that we experience in our own lives point us to a need for a cleansing of our sin, not just uh, to make situations better, circumstances more bearable, but we need one who could come and deal with the root of our issue, which was our sin before God. We needed someone that could come and suffer in our place and give us relief. We needed one that, who could, that could make us new. Because again, suffering doesn't just show that circumstances are bad on the outside, but it actually shows us that there's something wrong on the inside of us. Mark 7, Jesus tells us that it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out of a person that defiles them. He says, from within, out of people's hearts, Come all sorts of evil. Suffering in this life doesn't just demand an explanation, doesn't just demand relief, but it points to the need for our restoration. 
It points to the reality of sin before God. And so our trials don't demand a band-aid that we can create, but it demands a kind of hope that we need that is steadfast and sure. And friends, the good news today is that there is one who came and bore our burdens and gives us the restoration that we need, who came so that we might be born again. As we look to the details of Psalm 22, we see one that suffers greatly and longs for the Lord and the person of David. But there is one who suffered greatly and reigns today as our Lord. And to see this, I want you to take your Bible and look with me in Psalm 22. We're going to jump around to a few different verses because we see in verse 2, it says, My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. There is one who prayed in the night and yet had no rest. He was the one that prayed in the garden of Gethsemane and sweated drops of blood as he prepared to be betrayed. And he prayed in the night saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Verse six, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. There was one that was scorned by mankind and despised by people. He was the one about the the Old Testament prophesied as a suffering servant. Prophet Isaiah says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Verse seven, everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. There is one who was mocked by people and one that sneered and shook their heads at. We know this because the gospel writers in Matthew and Mark both tell us that he was on, as he was on his way to Golgotha, those who passed by were yelling insults at him and shaking their heads. Verse eight, he relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. There is one who was mocked for relying on the Lord because he proclaimed that he was the son of God. Even the criminal hanging beside him joined in because Matthew says that the crowds yelled out, he trusts in God, let him rescue him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. Jumping now to verse 18, they divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. There is one whose garments were divided as his persecutors cast lots for his clothing. The gospel tells us that they stripped him of his own garments and placed a crown of thorns on his head. And then the soldiers cast lots for his clothes after they nailed him to a tree. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. There is one who was poured out like water. John tells us that as he died, the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and from his body poured forth blood and water. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. There is one whose strength was dried up and whose mouth went dry. His strength was exhausted as he bore the cross of Calvary and his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth as they offered him sour wine to drink. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. There is one who could count all his bones. John tells us that the soldiers would typically break the legs of the one that was crucified to speed up their death, but it wasn't necessary with this one because he gave up his own life. He could count all his bones. Not one was broken, even as he hung cursed, nailed to a tree for you and me. Verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. And friends, there is one who was surrounded by evildoers and whose hands and feet were pierced. It was he that was surrounded by evil as he was betrayed in the hour of darkness. And it was him that they pierced. So they drove the nails into his hands and into the feet, into the cross. And then verse one, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? There is one who cried out at three in the afternoon, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he hung on the cross, bore our sins, becoming an eternal sacrifice for you and me. And this one has a name. 
and his name is Jesus. We see this ultimately fulfilled in the person of Christ. This, this song, this fifth account of the gospel of the crucifixion, written centuries before the birth of Christ, shows us that our prayers are answered because Christ has sent an expected sufferer. So I hope you see the good news today that Jesus himself suffered in our place and bore our burdens. Jesus, according to his humanity, experienced what we experience. He cried out that God felt distant from him. And so that just as we, when we're in the middle of a trial, feel as if God is not there, God has turned his back. Jesus feels that when he hung on the cross and cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Christ, we have the greatest hope because he endured the greatest punishment for our sake. And Jesus carried his cross to Calvary. He was crucified for our sins and he died in our place. And in this, in Christ, we have this kind of sure hope that we need because Christ dealt with the root issue of our suffering. He dealt with our sin. He didn't just make circumstances better. He didn't just give us answered, but he actually addressed the problem within each of us of our sin. And it was Jesus who rose again, defeating death and hell and the grave. And so church, even in the midst of our suffering, we have a great hope because God sent the expected sufferer in his son, Jesus Christ. We have this hope because in Christ, we have one who knows our suffering intimately and he's aware of our suffering intimately. He knows our suffering, hears our prayer because he himself became the propitiation for our sins. And so it's to Christ that we look to. It's what Psalm 22 is pointing us to, to cry out to Jesus, to make known to him our pains and our burdens. It's pointing us to make our requests known to God, that we would say with David, save me, Jesus. That we would put our faith in him and affirm our trust in him in every season for our life, for our eternity, and for our comfort. Because he knows what it's like. He bore it himself and he died that we might be forgiven and find freedom and blessedness in his name. And so the question for us today is how do we respond to this kind of prayer? How do we respond to this message? You may be thinking, no, this is great. Like it's great to hear that God knows and sees and here's our prayer and they sent Jesus, but I still feel like I'm in verse one. I still feel like, I, like God is distant and far from me. The call today is to cry out to God, to make our requests known to him and to affirm our trust in the Lord. So this will be a time for us in just a moment for us to do just that, to come to the Lord in prayer and to worship him through song and affirm our trust in the God that sent his son to suffer in our place. In just a moment, we're gonna take of the Lord's supper and remember the death that he died for us. And after that, we'll sing a song together and it'll be a time for prayer. But let's go to the Lord in prayer in this moment. Father, we thank you for the gift of Psalm 22, Lord, that you show us how to go through suffering in this life. Father, we thank you that you are intimately aware of where we're at. You're intimately involved, Lord. You know our suffering. You see us. You hear our prayer. And Father, we thank you that our prayers of suffering have been answered in the person of Christ. We thank you that he humbled himself the point of a servant and came to us, lived among us, Lord, and died for us. We thank you, Father, that in that he addressed the greatest need that we have. 
He didn't just give us an answer to our problems. He didn't just uh, make things better, Lord, but he dealt with the root issue of in our sin. So we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he is resurrected. Father, that he lives today and he's one that we can place our faith and our trust in. He's the one that gives us that sure kind of hope that we're longing for. So help us to respond in obedience and to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.